Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Angel. We are a podcast, a companion to our other podcast, The Accelerator. Um, we're aimed at uh, the funders, people who make companies happen with, uh, with uh, putting money in and putting expertise and talent as well, of course. Um, you can find us, um, go to Substack, uh, conif.substack.com, C-O-N-N-I-F-F.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are also on every major platform, Spotify, YouTube, and for video, and then Audible, Amazon, Apple, and et cetera for everything else today. We are doing something different to kick off 2024. We have never had a guest back for a second time, but we do. We have Scott Jablonski um, of 77 Analytics. He, if, uh, if, you're, if you're a close watcher of these podcasts, he was on the Accelerator, um, but the, the, it was clear he had so much to talk about, about being an angel investor and how to go about that and how to look for companies. Um, which is something I do myself. I thought it would be really interesting to have him back to talk about that. So welcome, Scott. Great to have you again. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate the the invite for the second time, too, to be, yeah. <laughs> to be the first yeah, on the list. It makes, it's a mean to me. You are groundbreaking. So that's cool. So, um, Scott, um, what... I think one question we can start with, and we've we've just we've talked about it before a little bit, is so um, first of all, how do you go about finding, choosing, selecting as angel investments um, and companies that you know you're going to get involved with and have a lot to do with for a significant period of time? How do you decide? Yeah, um, it's a good question, Michael. I think it's through a few different formats. Um, one is the accelerators, as I was on the last podcast talking about. So accelerators come in many different forms and fashions, but what you get is a collection of young talent. And I mean young company talent. Sometimes the founders are young, sometimes they're not so young, but you get this real big base of knowledge. Um, and that knowledge likes to pull up with other like knowledge. So where you get into those networks, you get to meet some really interesting people. Um, secondly, being just in the Bay Area where I currently am, you get to bump into a lot of people um, and hear about interesting ideas and meet others. And then lastly, it's just my own kind of friend and informal network. Um, and again, founders get to know founders. And if you can tap in and be of some value to them, whether you're an angel investor or an advisor in another sense, um, there are ways to meet some really good companies out there. So that's sort of a networking and how you kind of get out there. And I guess you're involved with an accelerator in Berkeley. Is that right? That's right. Berkeley Skydeck. I work very closely with them and they have accelerator um, companies and, and batch participants, they call them, both in the U.S. and in Europe and around the world. And in New York, I know you're involved with the Harvard Business School Angels with kind of a sports focus. Okay, so... so um, uh, you know, sports, you've worked at the NHL and the NBA, which is the envy of every adult male, maybe female, too, out there listening today. Um, uh, my question is looking at, OK, so you get your network in place. You're, you're looking at you're going to accelerators. You're seeing companies. Uh, you're probably like me hearing a lot of pitches. So what is it if you had to look at all the companies where you've decided to get involved as an angel? Um, what would be the characteristic that unites them? What is it that they all, if, if they do, what do they have in common and what do they not have in common? Yeah, I think um, there's something systematic you want to look at and then something idiosyncratic you want to look at. 
systematically for me, you're looking at product market fit. You're looking at, hey, is there an opportunity in the market? And is this the team to take on that challenge? Do they have the, the tactical nous? Do they have the IP? Do they have the product or service and, and all of that stuff? Um, more idiosyncratic to me is I like to be an investor and a participant in that investment process. So instead of just saying, here's the check, call me when it's 100x, it's more like, hey, here's either the check or here's my time. Let's work together on this. How can I help you? And then thereby help our investment, my investment. Um, mm -hmm. So the idiosyncratic piece for me is to work with a founder and meet that founder whom I have some kind of connection to. So I say, hey, look, Michael's a founder. Scott's an investor. How can Scott and Michael work together? How can I amplify Michael, his company, and what the other people inside the company are doing? So it's much like charity. Some people say, hey, I gave $100 to the charity last year, or I gave five hours of my time. I like to do that when I talk about angel investing. I like to give the charity in terms of the, the capital, but sometimes it's also being a partner to that company and then getting some equity options along the way as an advisor. So it comes in both forms. But for me, it's just basic analysis of the business and the market and how that business is going to capture that market opportunity. Then also, can I work with that individual or that team to further the business? And you said there was one other thing, right? Idiosyncratic. Yeah, the idiosyncratic end is more how I fit with that founder. So that's not for everybody. Some angel investors say, hey, what's the opportunity? Take my check. Let's see this thing go to the moon. Um, sure, I believe in all of that. <laughs> but also for me, selfishly, I want to understand their business. So, you know, if, if I, you know, still have another 20 or 25 years in my career, how do I learn these technologies? How do I learn these different business models? Because it builds me up selfishly. And also that helps me then give deli uh, deliver value back to the back to the company and other companies as well. So that's the more idiosyncratic part for me is to know how I can work with the founder versus just saying, I'm an angel investor. Here's my capital. Call me when it comes back. You used a great word to describe this process and the words amplify, um, which uh, is, a, I guess, an audio word, right? Make make the sound bigger, make make it make the thing bigger. So how do you. How do you decide when and how to, to amplify what a founder's doing? What, what is that process like for you? Yeah, so that's a good question, Michael. So let's spin it around for a moment. So what would a founder want in an angel investor or any investor besides capital? Um, I think a founder, in my experience, a founder wants expertise. I think the founder wants to know that this person understands the market, has some experience in that space, can offer some wisdom. I think the founder also looks for influence. So can this investor, whether it's an angel investor or a more institutional investor, provide influence in others in around his or her network to say, hey, there's this great company you should check out, or hey, here's a good partnership for you or something else and help business development and other things. And then also credibility. I think um, investors can bring credibility in the sense of, hey, I've made investments in other areas. I have a certain level of um, credibility in my personal career. Let me lend that to the company because that provides amplification to your point. So um, when I then get into a relationship with a founder, it's like having a dance partner, right? And some founders are right on you. And you're like, I want this and this and this, and that's great. And I'll try to help where I can. Others say, I know what I'm doing. I just need a little bit of space and I'm going to come to you when it's necessary. 
So that's where it's more of a partnership, a one-on-one partnership. And founders come in different flavors, but no two seem to be the same. So I think that's a big part of the process. As you're speaking with a founder or, getting, or a founding team, getting an idea of the company, also the management style he, she, they have around that and understanding where you can slot in. Sometimes, you know, a lot of the basic building blocks are there for companies. You have your CEO, you have your CTO, and you have probably another C-level. Some do have a CFO or COO, some don't. Some have a CMO, some don't. Um, some might need certain legal or regulatory experience versus another type of company. So it's all that dance and that balance of understanding where an investor can provide the expertise, the influence, the credibility, and then slot that into the needs of the company at that particular stage. And what's your sweet spot when you do that? What, are, what is the skill set that you typically bring to a startup where you're slotting it in and you're, you're maybe providing something that otherwise the company would not have, whether expertise, experience, networking, but where do you, where do you fit in? Yeah, I find investors and advisors are either very specific in their function, like I'm a product person, I can help you with the product and the go-to-market and everything around that, or they're a little bit more of the generalist. And for me, I've held different roles. I've been a general manager. I've been a product manager. I've worked in sports. I've done other things. I've had my own consulting and advisory practice. So I find myself to be more of a generalist. And the generalist oftentimes sees the connections between things that others might not. Um, So... That, I think, is the value I can bring to a younger company specifically, because as, let's say, Michael, the entrepreneur, is trying to build his company, there are a lot of moving parts, and there just aren't enough hands to lift all the things that are going on. So where I, as a generalist, can start to make those connections and draw those together, especially with the focus of finance, operations, and data, which are my sweet spots, and overlaying then strategy on top of that, I think that's where I provide the most value. Um, and that's unique to my experience and my set of experiences. But other investors and advisors have very deep expertise in a certain area, and they can come in and really own a spot while that company builds up something around. So here's an, you've got your consulting firm, 77 Analytics. You do a lot of consulting, um, from what I understand. Um, plus, you, you have the angel activity and the angel uh, advisory activity. Um, what is different? I should, I've been wanting to ask this for a long time because I was a consultant once and now I'm sort of doing things similar to you. What's the difference other than the obvious financial model difference, but what's the difference in the advice you give to as a consultant versus the advice you might give as an angel, where presumably you have some skin in the game, you have some kind of stake in a company. Uh, as a consultant, you're an outsider, right? You're, you're, that's the whole point of consulting is, uh, um, as um, uh, I think uh, the founder of McKinsey said a long time ago, is like, you're, you know, the advice is meant to be independent. It's not meant to be internal. It's meant to be coming from an external source. So what to you is the difference between those two functions where in both cases you are giving advice to people, right? But it's kind of a different kind of advice. So what's the difference? Yeah, I think the primary difference, Michael, is the scope. So when doing a consulting project, you usually have a scope. scope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the scope of work. So when you do a consulting project, you hire me on to do X. Build me this, develop me that, help me through this problem. And it's a very specific, concrete scope. And at the end of it, I give you a deliverable, 
right? And it's very transactional. I do that work, I give you the deliverable, and I'm paid. Whatever. We so do. deliverable for people who you know aren't as familiar with consulting, typically is is um, a document. Um, not always, but but it might be a presentation. It might, but it's it's advice, right? It's it's like I looked at this thing, and here's what I found, and here's what you might consider, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's the form it usually comes in. And it could be a document, like you say, like a strategic document. It could be a set of pricing that I've done for clients or, or something mm -hmm. else along those lines. But it's very defined. And usually with consulting, it's a larger, medium to large side organization that has a unique, distinct problem. And that you can come in as an outsider and plug that gap. When you're an advisor, it's much different. <clears throat> you're dealing with small to medium-sized businesses who have several problems. And again, you can find a unique, nuanced thing to work on. But I think the value is when you can come in and work across different areas. And being an angel investor or having equity in an entity, you are a vested member of the team. So you can come in and say, hey, Michael, I think you know, you're, you're wondering about expansion to this market. Here's my perspective, sort of from a consulting viewpoint, but I actually think there are other parts of the business you should think about around this stuff. And how does that go into your pitch deck when you're looking for funding? Or how does that go into the types of people you should be recruiting and what that process looks like? So there's a jump off point where consulting many times sticks to a certain skill set, a certain demand that you're looking to fill. <clears throat> the same thing happens with angel investing, at least in active angel investing, and then advisory work. But there are many other places to jump off to. And I think it comes down to your scope and your trust, because as an investor having some skin in the game, you honestly, just like the company, wants to see everything succeed. Um, even more so than just a particular project that might be just like, hey, I want to see success in this project. And then we're done here, right? It's something different. There's something more long lasting as an advisor. So that's why I think the scope can expand out quite far from an initial conversation. Yeah. And, and as a, as an angel, uh, you know, you're on the cap table, you're, you're kind of sharing DNA with, uh, with, with founders or founder um, or a founder. So it's a, it's a, it's inherently a different relationship. Do you think, so, so as a consultant, you're basically what you're describing is, we, we sit down with the client, we talk about the project, we do a project, we have a deliverable. As an angel, it's much more loosey-goosey. It's much more um, open-ended, right? And it's much more about responding to, you know, what the immediate issue is in, in, front, of a, in front of a company. Um, so uh, one question I have kind of, it occurs to me to ask, which one do you prefer? Which kind of relationship do you prefer if one is better than the other or different than the other. I love all my children equally, Michael. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> I knew you were going to do well, that. I yeah, knew the minute um, I asked. Was gonna do it. But, but seriously, like uh, for my, I've, I've done both. And I would say that I, I prefer, um, I did consulting for 10 years. Um, I, I did it for a long time. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the freedom of it, of moving from one thing to another. But I must say I have enjoyed um, you know, being more of an angel a lot better, um, in part because it's not a hit and run. And it's like, it's also, it's not transactional. 
in the way that being a consultant is like uh, you've been in this situation and I'm, I, I'm guessing, but, but, you know, when you sell the problem with being a consultant is you're only as good as your next job. Right. And you're always kind of selling the next job. And that might be different than focusing on what is actually going to be good for a company. Right. Or focusing on what a company actually needs uh, versus what you can deliver going back to the deliverable. So I, to me, it's like, it's a richer uh, relationship. Um, you're in it together. You know, it's, it's a, there's a companionship to it. Um, and there's a, there's the ability to see it evolve over time, which is not always the case in consulting. Right. So um, if I had to vote, I would, I would prefer my angel children my angelic children versus my uh, <laughs> consulting children. No, it's been a long time, but, but, um, well, but it's different. It's, it's totally different because I'd say also like consulting, you see immediate payback and I don't just mean the capital. I mean, right. you can see the work product you've developed and you say, Hey, yeah. there was a hole. I helped patch it up. We did something good here. Um, angel investing, your returns could take five, seven, nine years, right? It, it could take a long time. And I have a friend at a unicorn. If you get if, a, if, if you want a return, yeah, that's right. I have a friend at a unicorn now, and they've nearly gone bankrupt a few times along that path while he's been there. And so there are a lot of ups and downs. So what I would say is in my older years here, when more gray hair every day, um, you know, in the 25 years I've been working, I've worked on great projects. I've been very fortunate to do like, cool things and work in different locations and everything. But what I will take away at the end of the day is the people I work with and those relationships I had, because sometimes I was working with those people more than I see my spouse or more than I see my kids or anything else. There are people there, right? And I think the depth of relationship you form as an active angel investor or an advisor is more wide and deep. You get to see somebody in their most vulnerable state. They're out yeah. there begging for money. <laughs> Please give me money so I can fuel this dream, right? And that's yeah. when you get to the core depth of a man or a woman. And that, in a sense, is a very rewarding process to look through when you do see that person or that team achieve success because you are part of that and you feel it in your bones. Um, my wife was, um, is part of a company that went an IPO several years ago, just to see what that team went through to IPO. I mean, through IPO, and there are a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties, but you get to achieve a new level of being around those, those coworkers that you're with. And, and I think you get a touch of that with the advisory piece as well. Um, and the angel investing piece, because if you can see this small idea grow into something larger. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It, it's absolutely just fuels you with nonstop energy. Consulting can be very exciting when you come in and really help a problem and really solve something or help solve something. But it's a different thing, like you say, for, for advisor and annual investing. Do you have um, a particular success story as an angel you're, you're proud of or that's interesting? Um, not yet. Everything that we've done so far is still on the one to four year range. Um, mm -hmm. So no big payouts yet, but it is amazing to see, um, you know, a company raise 
12 million of series A or 2 million seed company, a couple companies I've worked with have done that and to see what that does. And I think the most interesting part is in any pursuit, you say, hey, look, there's a certain goal we have to achieve. We hit the goal, yay, made our lives easier. But when these companies are raising capital and trying to build companies, it's not like all the problems go away when you raise the capital. It's just a new set of problems arise. And I think it's fun to see, at least from an outsider's perspective, the maturation of the founding team and the team more broadly as it goes up through those levels. So I haven't hit the peak of Everest quite yet um, because the investments are still out there and companies are still doing their things and growing. But you, I get to see these growth points along the way. And to me, that's, that's exciting and fulfilling. How much of it, Scott, would you call cheerleading in the sense of, and I would, I would characterize that as um, lots of time, times founders, uh, founders are emotional. <laughs> um, not all of them, but most of the ones I work with, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. In fact, one founder I'm thinking of in particular I work very closely with, he's like, to me, he's like way too emotional about stuff. He gets, there's like, I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but, but like the tendency when you're in a startup is, you know, everything can look like it's life and death, right? Every decision, or if I don't get this money or if this customer doesn't close or whatever. And it's really not like that. It's think, not that many things are life and death, even for a startup, right? So how do you, do you find yourself um, being a friend, being, being a therapist, being a cheerleader? Um, uh, how much of the job is that? How frequently does that come into play? Yeah, good question, Michael. I, I'd say it depends on the type of role I have. So if I'm an advisor, and I am getting a formal advisor and getting equity options. So I'm not being paid. I'm just getting equity options that I could execute at some point. I think I'm more of a cheerleader because we are not in a place of pressure and I'm here to help and bolster that founder or the founding team. I think if I'm an angel investor, I have taken my hard-earned capital and put it across the table into this company. I think there's a little bit more pressure in that situation, right? And then if I were to represent the interests of more institutional investors, I think there's even more pressure at that point. And now it's like, you got to hit the eight KPIs. Let's get going here. Um, the advisory piece, whether it's pro bono, which I do, but then also whether it's for equity, which I do. Um, I think the real value an outsider can deliver besides functional expertise or other kinds of um, experience is just being someone that the founder can yell at and scream at and complain to, right? Because the founder or the founding team can't do that to the venture capital firm, right? The fund. They can't do that maybe directly to an angel investor. So you can get behind the scenes a little bit and be like, okay, let's talk through this. How are you feeling? Okay, it's not the end of the world. We're going to solve this, right? And then you can get that person back or that team back up to snuff before he, she, they go out and speak to a, an institutional investor. That's where I think an advisor is a little bit more behind the scenes. But once capital is exchanged across the table, then it changes because then it's like, you now have my money. We do need a return on this at some point, right? Knowing that a lot of investments do, don't go that way. Um, but that, I think, is the difference in my experience with these startup founders. And so um, I also want to spend a few minutes on uh, founders uh, for obvious reasons. 
maybe not some not so obvious. Um, you've probably worked by now with dozens of founders um, in in multiple contexts. Um, is there anything that the best founders have in common, or is it just an eclectic mix of skills and ideas? And what 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 if you had to say? Um, if you had to choose, uh, let's say, three attributes of a founder that you think is really destined for success, what would they be? Yeah, um, very existential question, but I love it. Um, the three things I would choose. One is a dogged determination towards success and having the ability to understand when you're wrong. Um, the most successful people I've met in my life are people who understand what they don't know and have people to fill in those gaps. So a person who's like, I know I have a good idea. I know we have a good idea, but I'm not so sure about X and I'm not so sure about Y and I need help in those areas. That's an important thing. It, it speaks to a level of emotional maturity. Um, and, you know, I think related to that point around the EQ is a sense of IQ, a bright individual who knows what the technology holds, the limitations of the market, and can do you know the TAM and all those things that you want to see in a good pitch deck. So you've got the emotional maturity, number one, of understanding what they don't know and helping and seeking help for that. Two is the IQ piece of it, just raw intelligence in whatever field that person or that team decides to go into. And then there's actually sort of a third component to me is that social intelligence. And what does that mean? The social intelligence is I've seen very bright founders, very bright people that I've worked with who socially just don't know what's going on in terms of reading the room. And it's not a lack of emotional maturity. It's not a lack of intelligence. It's a lack of just playing the room. And I think all of us should be trying to pursue that holy triad of, you know, the emotional, the intelligence and the social. We all struggle at it. Like, I certainly struggle at it. You probably struggle at it. We all do. But when you meet a founder who's trying to literally birth an idea or a founding team, and that individual, that team can say, hey, we have a bright team here. We have a emotionally mature team, and we have a socially mature team in the sense of going out and connecting with founders, connecting with the employees inside the organization, connecting with cons uh, consumers outside the organization. Those three things, it's something I guess we all chase, but that the, the, the best quote unquote founders I've spoken to and met with and work with have some share of those three. Because when you're too imbalanced on one or two of those and not in that second or that third area, it just doesn't work out. So then what happens is it can cause fabric tears in the fabric of the company. And that's when you might see a founder get up and leave or there's something wrong because of some issue. So it's a very delicate balance to build a company with tens or hundreds of people that are trying to achieve millions of dollars of revenue or whatever it is. So it is that balance of the EQ, the IQ, and call it the SQ, if you will. I like that. That's that's really interesting. I want to remind you, everyone out there, you're listening to The Angel with Michael Conniff. That's me, the companion podcast to The Accelerator. Go to Conniff, C-O-N-N-I-F-F dot substack dot com or The Accelerator 
www.substack.com to sign up for our newsletters um, that go out, including these podcasts, by the way. Also, we're on Spotify, YouTube, and all the major uh, audio, audio platforms, including Audible, Amazon, Apple, and I don't know, about eight others. So uh, you can find us out there um, and uh, feel free to reach out and contact us. We really appreciate that. Scott Jablonski um, of 77 Analytics, a uh, accomplished uh, consultant, um, angel investor. Um, this has really been interesting. And Scott, you've lived up to the uh, to the to the opportunity of being the first repeat guest in over a hundred podcasts. So uh, I really appreciate it. You know, you know what? You now you have to become the first trip, you know, trifecta, triple header. Um, and come back again. But um, we really appreciate it. You did a great job and um, and wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Happy 2024. You bet. And uh, thanks for listening to uh, our podcast, The Angel. And remember, we'll be back with another one before you know it.